Good morning. So, is the mic on? No? So, is there something I'm supposed to do to the mic? Now is it on? Oh, there we go. Okay, perfect. I was, I've been wearing it around for 45 minutes, and um, I went to the restroom, and I, and I tried to make for sure it was off, if you get my drift. Okay. You guys laugh, but that, that happened to, I grew up in Keene, Texas, and um, we're sitting in the audience in church one day, and all of a sudden, over the mic, you could hear men talking to each other, and then you could hear things you're not supposed to hear. <laughs> So ever since then, I was about nine, my mom leaned over and said, don't ever let that happen to you. And I said, no problem, we won't do that. So if I click this, can I get to my next slide or can I just tell you guys next slide? How's that? And somebody can go to the next slide? Is there a next slide? Okay, good, so let's go back. I'll get to that slide in a minute. Okay, perfect. So as opposed to me clicking, I'm just gonna say next slide and you guys will go, we good with that? Okay. So first of all, I want to thank Dr. Jerry Mascala, um, the dean, obviously, of our Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary for inviting me here today. Um, it's a privilege because I'm not a pastor and I'm not a theologian. And it's a privilege to be with you. Um, you've chosen to dedicate your life to the spiritual care of the world around you, which is remarkable. You are the future leader and the stewards of the Christian faith. You may have, <clears throat> you may be, and I want you to listen to this, you may be the only pastor that someone ever meets in their lifetime. You may be the only pastor that someone meets in their lifetime. May God prepare each of you and bless each of you in your lifelong journey. Next slide. Every day, as I walk into my office at Advent Health, I pass by the Leadership Institute. The Institute has but one goal, and that goal is to prepare men and women to lead in a faith-based healthcare organization. Um, and as I think about faith-based, when you really just think about it from your seat, I want you to understand that the world that we find ourselves, for the most part, has little to do with religion, the Bible, or faith for that matter. So our mission is to extend the healing ministry of Christ in a world that really doesn't understand what that mission is. It is the world that you're going to find yourself in when you leave the seminary. Next slide. On the wall of the Leadership Institute, we have a text. It's Micah 6.8. It seems like a simple text, but it's profound in its meaning both at the time it was written and for us today. Any text that includes a clear call from the Lord and a requirement should catch your attention. It has profound meaning because it is personal. The text says, what does the Lord require of you, of me? It is profound in its relevancy. The text requires no cultural or contextual analysis. It speaks with a clarity that convicts. This text has certainly captured my heart and challenged my mind. I have been blessed to hear many sermons on this text and read many commentaries on this text. And today I'd like to explore Micah 6, 1 through 8 with you. 
Before we do that, a couple of things about Micah, or frankly, any text. First, it's important that you find yourself in the passage until it becomes personal for you. It's somebody else's passage. Second of all, while Micah is highly understandable, some additional biblical knowledge will help draw out the deepest meaning. Biblical knowledge can be a little tricky. And I want to give you an example. In the 1980s, I know that's long before most of you, okay, so just bear with me. In the 1980s, the Chicago Bears, you've ever heard of the Chicago Bears? Okay, there we go. The Chicago Bears football team was going through a really ugly rough patch, meaning they were losing a lot. Their coach tried everything and finally decided to do the last thing that he probably should have decided to do first, which was hire a chaplain for the team. Okay? So true story. So he's in the locker room with the players after practice, and he says, team, we're going through a rough patch. We're hiring a chaplain for the team. Refrigerator Perry, a huge defensive tackle, spoke up and said, Coach, I'm a Christian, was raised a Christian. I believe in the Almighty. You do not have to hire a chaplain. I can pray for the team. Ed, <laughs> the quarterback, McMahon, says, Come on, Fridge, you cannot pray. I'll bet you $100 you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. Fridge said, I know the Lord's Prayer. I'll take that $100 bet. Coach said, okay, everybody bow their heads. So the locker room bowed their heads, and it got really quiet. And Refrigerator Perry said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray in my soul, the Lord to keep. And when he got done, Jig McBann leaned over to his buddy and said, I guess I owe him $100. He did know it. <laughs> So I trust this morning that your recognition of Scripture is better than the Chicago Bears theologians. <laughs> and as we study together, I, I invite you to, to um, find yourself in the passage. Now, I've got the text in front of me, and I was going to go through that with you, but the gentleman in front of me eloquently, thank you, young man, you did a nice job, um, read the text, and so I'm going to spare you from that. But... What I'd like to do right now is say a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the body of the text. Dear God, thank you for your love. We ask that you be with us today. Help us all to find ourselves in your narrative. Give us your peace. We pray this in your name. Amen. So folks, in this passage, we find ourselves in the middle of the trial. It is we who are on trial. And the mountains who have been around forever and have seen everything are the witnesses. To our dismay, I don't know if it's our, to my dismay when I find myself in this passage, I find God as the prosecutor. <laughs> now, as I sat back and think about that metaphor, I think about what is the problem? And this is the charge. God brings the charge, and this is the charge. You have failed to remember that I was the one who redeemed you. Someone who has blessed me over the years is Dr. Craig Barnes. He's the professor or the, or the president of the Princeton Theological Seminary. He's not of our faith tradition, but I've learned much from him anyway. Barnes says about this passage, Micah's concern is not that we've broken God's law, 
but that we've broken his heart. We have failed to remember that it is God who redeems us. It happens all the time. We forget that all we call our life is because of his grace. This, folks, is a serious charge. Throughout history, every time human beings forget that there is a God, they tend to act like God. And it's when the greatest evil is unleashed, unleashed in this world. When you don't remember that God is the one who redeemed you, you have no room in your heart to be grateful. And if there's no room in your heart for gratefulness, what comes into your heart is anxiety. And when your heart is full of anxiety, there is no room in our heart for the love that we were created to give. When have you found yourself anxious? When have you found yourself anxious? I will tell you, working in healthcare for the past two years, I found myself anxious many times. As a matter of fact, I told my team about a year in, this is God's way of telling me you're not in charge. Your plans are interesting, saith the Lord, but I have a better plan, <laughs> whether you like it or not. So what does God want? The interesting thing is in verse 6, Micah moves out of the courtroom metaphor and he comes after us himself. And then people respond and they go, God, what do you want? Our life savings, our house, our children? Those are really bad questions. Those are questions of a people trying to bribe their way out of trouble. The reason we're in the court in the first place is because we have forgotten that God is God. In verse 8, Micah says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. Stop giving the excuse that you're confused. There can be no confusion. He requires you to do three things. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. It sounds simple. So let's talk about doing justice. By the way, I'm on the justice slide, which I like about slide seven. Keep going. Yeah, that's good enough. Okay. So just like believing that exercise is good for you and never exercising. Doing justice is not the same thing as believing in justice. All right. In the Sabbath school that I attend, that Dr. Muscala already talked about, I've taught with Ted for 20 years. Um, we've been through the Bible multiple times. In the Old Testament, you find prophets after prophet after prophet who tells God's people, either start doing justice or stop calling yourselves the children of God. You've been through the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, don't want to leave that out. We find Jesus. Jesus didn't give us his theory on neighbor issues, center issues, political issues, and church issues. In his day-to-day -day interactions, he cared for the people 
who were beaten down by those issues. It is much easier to believe in justice than to have to do justice. When you do justice, you get introduced to the people behind the issues. Each one has a face, a name, and a circumstance that just may break your heart. William Sloan Coffin, the American Christian clergyman and long-time long peace activist, quotes Pope Pius VI, the saying, if you want peace, work for justice. Coffin goes on to say in his book, the heart is a little to the left. The world is fast becoming a global village. Naturally, the powerful and the wealthy tend to see themselves as the village elders. Their primary preoccupation, however, is with order rather than justice. And history has shown that concern for disorder over injustice generally gets you more of both. God is not asking you a question about what you believe, but what are you going to do with what you believe? And if the first requirement's challenging, not challenging enough, he adds the second to it. We are required to do justice, and we're required to do it with loving kindness. It's been described as the Hebrew word has said. It means steadfast, merciful, unshakable. Those are the defining marks of God's love. I am thankful that we serve a God whose love is unshakable, merciful, and steadfast. Too many have grown up believing that God is perpetually angry or looking for a way to exclude someone. When you add said to doing justice, people get more than what they deserve. We give people what they need. We give them our heart. We give them loving kindness. Coffin also noted, too many religious people make faith their aim. They think the greatest of these is faith, and faith is defined as all but infallible doctrine. These are the Christians more concerned with freezing the doctrine than warming the heart. If faith can be exclusive, only love can be inclusive. To do justice with loving kindness requires much of us. At Advent Health, our first two service standards are keep me safe, number one, and love me, number two. Sometimes I get asked, why can't we just fix them up Send them out and let God love them. At Advent Health, with a mission to extend the healing ministry of Christ, I believe as God sees it, to live our mission, it's not justice unless it's done with loving kindness. Lastly, walk humbly with your God. If you do justice long enough with loving kindness, there's a good, good chance you're going to be overwhelmed. And it's going to put you on a path to walking humbly with your God, whether you like it or not. To walk humbly is no less difficult than the first two requirements. 
It usually means putting preconceived notions on the shelf and doing the hard work of learning something new. To get out of the box that you have built for yourself into a pathway of learning. Walking humbly with God means living your life with an open, not a closed door. Open to someone else's idea. Open to having your plan change into God's plan. Open to the struggle and study of things that you really don't understand and consistently check the opinion that you doggedly cling to to be open to learning things from a perspective that is not your own. As a leader in the Christian faith, all of you in your life journey will take into the intersection of your life differing cultures, worldviews, philosophies, belief sets, observances, and lifestyles. How are you going to enter this ministry intersection? With absolute cultural certainty? Absolute theological confidence? As you apply your influence in this intersection, recognize that your approach will either result in creating distance and tension that ultimately divides or with humility that unites, makes friends instead of enemies. If you're like me, that's going to be really hard. Most of the time, I would prefer to stay to my own routine. It's hard to let things in that are new that I don't prefer. When you think about it, most of us don't really want to become anything that we aren't already are. If we read it all, we read what we like. If we watch the news, we filter what we don't believe. And heaven forbid that we may have to change our view of who God is, how she works, and what is at the core of what we believe. <laughs> Thank you. Dr. James Hayward, Professor Emeritus of Biology right here at Andrews University, captures the notion of walking humbly with your God in his book, Dinosaurs, Volcanoes, and the Holy Writ. He says, I wish to conclude with a favorite text, one that makes clear to me how I should think and act in a world of unanswered questions, conflicting views, and divided allegiances. It is a familiar passage, one that encourages me to recall what is most important in the lifelong voyage of discovery. And it's Micah 6.8. O mortal, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And yet Micah 6.8 is more than a list of three requirements. It is a call for a pathway into a deeper relationship with God, a reliance on God that will only grow. God wants all of us to remember that we need him in order to be human beings. When will any of us have ever done enough justice? When will any of us have ever provided enough kindness? When will any of us have ever walked humbly enough and long enough with the Lord our God? Never, of course. 
And yet when we do justice with loving kindness and walk humbly with God, you create a sacred space, a realm of redemption that the Savior will come near to. I wish for each of you a lifelong of learning, a life of doing justice, loving kindness, and a journey that has you walking humbly with the Lord your God. May God bless each one of you. Amen.